Right, well, we are, oh, good morning. I'm Tom, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. I forgot to, I always forget to say that. Um, it's great to see you. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to chat. I'll, I usually stand up here somewhere after service, so i um, love to meet you if you'd like to do that. But uh, today we're in a series. We're in a, a very short three-week sermon series through the vision of Springbrook Church. So if you're new here, this is a great way to get introduced to what we're about. And uh, all we're doing is really talking about the three primary things that we want to exist for here at, at this church. And that is to love Jesus, to love people, and to help people love Jesus. That's why we're here. And so we want to talk through each of those um, over these uh, couple of weeks. And last week we started this with, what does it mean to love Jesus? And we said primarily last week that by saying love Jesus, you can pivot really, really quickly to what we have to do in order to love Jesus. But the overwhelming emphasis of the Bible is not that we love Jesus, but that he loved us. And because he loved us, we get to love him. We love out of response to what he has done for us in his life and death and resurrection. We, we do what John uh, tells us in 1 John, his letter there, that we live through him, that we live through Jesus. Jesus talks about this also in John 15, which is where we're, we're basing our, this ser- series off of um, over the next few weeks. We started with the first 11 verses, talking about what it means to abide in Christ, that Jesus loved us in the same way that God the Father loves him, he loves us. And so we're called to then abide in his love and live out of that. So that's important because if we say we love Jesus because we do things to, to have him love us, we're missing the point. He doesn't love us because we come to church. We don't, he doesn't love us because we pray. He doesn't love us because we give. He loves us, period. And we do those things. We participate in the church. We pray. We read our Bibles. We give. We do the things out of response to that love. It's not those things bring us love. It's we're loved and then we do those things out of response. So that's where we started last week, just as a recap in case you weren't here. Um, and, and today we're going to p- pivot here. We're going to turn to the second thing that we exist for at Springbrook Church, and that is to love people. And in fact, Jesus takes us right there in John 15, in verse 12 through 17. This is what he tells us to do. It's, it's the overflow of the love we have in Jesus and through Jesus that we then get to love one another. Again, this is not meant to be a law command. It was a law in the Old Testament to love God, love each other. In fact, the Ten Commandments are broken down into those main categories. The first four commandments um, are, are about how we love God and the second Six commandments are about how that love for God affects how we love people. It certainly is the the breakdown of the law. In fact, the Bible tells us that that is what the law is all about. Love God, love people. Um, But as Christians, we don't operate out of the law. We've been set free from the law through Christ's obedience to the law. So how do we live? We don't just live by white knuckling our way through this Christian life. We, We live in response to the gospel. And so the fulfillment of the law actually happens in us and through us 
Not because we've managed to do it, but because Christ has managed to work in us. But this is where we go, is we love God and then we love people. So look at verse 12. Jesus is speaking here. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Okay, the commandment he gives us is that we love one another. We can't miss the fact that the first 11 verses of this, he's been talking about his love for us and therefore our love for him. This flows out of that. We can't, again, cart horse situation, right? We can't put the cart in front of the horse. We love people because we've been loved by God. But because we've been loved by God through Jesus, we get to love people. And he commands us to do this, to love one another. But notice how we're to do this. The end of verse 12. As I have loved you. Love one another as or in, in the same way as I have loved you. That is super crucial. We don't get to define for ourselves what it means to love people. We love people as we've been loved by Jesus. We look to Jesus and how he loves us to define and inform how we love each other. And if if we just decide to define love the way we want to define it and not the way he defines it and demonstrates it, then again, we're missing the key piece here. We are told to love one another as I have loved you. So that begs a question that leads us to a question. Well, what does that mean? How has Jesus loved us so that we can understand how to love each other? Thankfully, Jesus is not going to leave us wondering that. He's actually going to take us through how he loves us. And here's the point. We're going to see how he loves us. But the reason why he's telling us how he loves us is so that we can implement those same things in our lives towards each other. Again, the bulk of this passage is going to show how Jesus loves us, but he's applying it to, this is what I've done for you, so you do this for each other. Let's, let's just keep those things clear in our, in our minds. All right, so let's look at verse 13. There's really two things in this passage that he's going to show us on how he loves us. Two kind of broad categories. Verse 13 is one, and then 14 through 17 uh, is the second. And maybe there's nuance in here where we could throw a third in, but we'll just stick with the two to be, to be simple today. So verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus first, let's follow his logic. Let's follow his train of thought. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And then he defines what love ultimately is. That greater love has no one than this. There is no greater love than than what I'm about to say to you. Jesus says that someone would lay down his life for his friends. We know in the context of this passage that Jesus is just a matter of hours away from being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, being tried by the Jewish leaders, being brought before Pilate, and then brought before Herod, and then brought back before Pilate, and this whole circus of the last days of Christ on earth. And then he's then crucified at the hands 
of sinners and he dies on a cross. But he does this and he's, this, is, this section of John is what's called the upper room discourse. I said this last week, but I'll just remind you. The upper room discourse is where he's giving his disciples the final instructions they need to know before he goes to the cross. And so his life will be laid down for them. And it has been laid down for them and for us. And so he's simply saying, he's preparing them for this reality that greater love nobody knows than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So the first way that Jesus has loved us, I hope this isn't new to you, but if it is, then this is going to be great. He gave his life for us. He, he laid down his life as he died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that we, you and me as sinners, could be forgiven, could be reconciled to him, could be made whole, healed, brought into right relationship with God. All of that he did as he died on the cross for us. And this is the greatest display of love. The cross of Christ is how we know God loves us. Romans 5, 8, the apostle Paul writes, God shows or displays his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the thing, if we struggle, and I think all of us do struggle to one degree or another with whether we're loved by God. That, that's a question that I think all of us wrestle with because we know ourselves and we know the depths of our sin. We don't even know the full depths of our sin, but we know enough of it to go, how could I be loved by a perfect God in the universe who created all things? How could I be loved? Here's what the Bible tells us. We know we can be loved and are loved by God because of Christ on the cross. That's the point of Romans 5.8. It is that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lays down his life. He gives up his life. He dies on the cross as the ultimate display of love. But let's remember the main point here. Jesus talks about his love for us, but the point that he starts with is love one another as I have loved you. So, of course, it's vital that we reflect on how Jesus has loved us and look at the cross as the, as the ultimate pinnacle of that. But what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that as we've been loved by him, we love each other in that way. So what does that mean for us? How do we love each other in the same way that Jesus loves us by laying down our lives? Is he asking us or telling us to then be crucified for everyone else? Well, no, of course that's not what he's saying. The Bible's abundantly clear on this point that Jesus Christ is the once and only and perfect sacrifice for sin. That does not need to continue. We're not being asked to lay down our lives in the place of sinners. Only Christ could do that. But what does it tangibly mean to apply this to life with one another? Well, the Bible gives us three things, at least three things, probably a lot more than that. But I just pulled out three things for us uh, on how this works. And I think it boils down um, to being willing to lay down 
aspects of our lives for the good of others because we've been loved by Jesus. Most of us are not going to be asked to die physically for someone else. Some of us might be. There are people who love uh, enough to serve enough to die for the life of another. That is true. And we should honor those people for their sacrifice. That is true. And maybe that's what we may, we may be called to that. We, we don't know. But most of us probably not. So how do we apply this if it's not in literally dying for someone else? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, uh, 5, rather, 1 and 2, that we are to be imitators of God as beloved or as loved children and to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we are called to be imitators of God out of being loved children, to be beloved. That's where we operate out of. And so what we do is we walk in love. We operate our lives in such a way, we live our lives in such a way that love is on display because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And what that means then, I think just practically, is that we operate out of a life that says, I don't need all of my preferences to be met. I don't need to have everything I want. Other people can have what they need because I'm willing to lay down all of my preferences for the good of others. I, I think that's just one way. It's certainly not the only way, but we, we need to walk in like a lack of selfishness. That's fundamentally what we're being told to do is to stop being selfish and see other people as more valuable than us. That's hard, and only Christ can do that work in us, but that's what it means. It means to walk in love. It also means, and we're going to look, look at that, the point I just made in a second here, but in Philippians chapter 2, we see this fleshed out further. Um, Philippians 2, 1 through 8, we are told that to love one another means that we set aside our pride to humbly serve. Here's what it, here's what it says. Oh, I'm in Ephesians, sorry. Let me get to Philippians. Philippians 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, that's agreement, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's another word for pride, conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Paul uses this amazing doctrine of the incarnation and the crucifixion to show us that Christ loved us to the point of death on a cross. And he did that because he humbled himself. He could have, by all right, stayed in heaven, soaking in the glory of heaven. But he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He became man. He took on humanity. He never lost his divinity, but he took upon himself humanity, our frailty, our weakness, and he lived among us and then died among us for us. Now, the point Paul's making there is this, that that's, that's a beautiful theological truth, that, but it matters to life. It matters because that's how we should be operating among one another, that we are to do nothing out of selfishness or pride, but in humility consider others more important. So how do we love as we've been loved? We, we lay aside our pride to humbly serve those around us. There's also another way, and I think I have these up on the screen, but 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is another way that this is fleshed out. Again, there's not just one answer to this. There's many ways that this applies. But in 1 John chapter 3, Starting in verse 16, here's what John writes. By this we know love. So this is how we know what love is. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. How do we know what love is? We look to Jesus and we say, that's, that's what love is. He laid down his life for us. But now look at how he applies it. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So this is really piggybacking off of what John heard Jesus say in the upper room on that Thursday night, basically echoes exactly what Jesus says in John 15. But how does John apply the issue of laying down our lives for the brothers? What's his way of seeing that happen? Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this is interesting because the way John here applies it, Paul applies it to humble service. That's true. These are not competing ideas. These are just separate applications. The application in John one of the many applications of, of loving people, is that we actually live with open hands to give away what we have to help others. That we love each other by laying down our need to have everything for ourselves. And we can live in the freedom of the gospel to say, you know what, I have just, I may not have as much as others, I may not have much at all, but I have something that I can give to help those who are in a worse place than me. That's, Paul, that's John's point here, right? That, that he's saying, if you see your brother in need and you possess the world's goods to meet that need, and yet you close your heart against that, that brother, how can you say you love God? The love of God applies to our hearts in this way, that when we see the needs and we have the ability to meet those needs. Now, you may not always have the ability to meet every need. I don't want you to put this 
incredible weight on yourself to say, well, I have to do absolutely. But, but I think we can, we can be way, way too conservative on this issue because we're afraid ourselves of what may come, so we hoard. And what this is calling us to do is to not hoard what we have, but to live with open hands and say, you know what, this is, this is what God has given me. And again, it may not be monetary. It might be money, but it may be your time. It may be your, your talents that God has given you. It, it might be a variety of things, but if you see someone in need and you have the capacity to meet that need, laying down your life for the brothers means you, you step into that. And so we live in humility. We live in open-handedness with our time and our treasures and our talents to help those in need. That is how the Bible, at least in these two places, applies this point. We're not necessarily called to lay down our lives physically for someone else. We may be. That's a category for sure. But for 90 plus percent of us, probably closer to 99 percent of us, we're never going to be asked to die to save someone. If we are, as Christians, we step into that too. But if we're not, we, we look out and go, how do I meet the needs? How do I walk in love because I've been loved? Okay, so the, the first way that Jesus displays his love for us is that he lays down his life for us. But he goes on. So back to John 15. So look at verse 14 through 17. This is where we're going to apply this second point. But let's start in 13 again because I think it leads perfectly into 14. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. So laying down your life is one way we love as we've been loved. He lays down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So what's the second point? And there's probably a number of subpoints we could make here, but what's the main thing Jesus is communicating to us as his disciples, to the disciples in the upper room, but this is recorded in Holy Scripture for all of us as well. And, and I think here's the point. Jesus shows that he loves us by, because he's made us his friends. And I think that that's such an underrated thing. He's made us his friends, not just servants. That, that's what he tells these guys, right? That's what he's telling these, these men who have followed him for three years. You're, you're not just my servants. You're not just my lackeys. You're not just my, you know, roadies here to do the, the dirty work. You're my friends. And he, d- and he applies this by saying, you're my friends because I've told you everything that the Father has told me. Now, of course, he's not speaking literally as in absolutely everything, but he's talking about everything that is 
important for them to know he has not held back. He tells them that because they are his friends, they are going to bear fruit. He's chosen them for that purpose and that they can come to him and come to the Father in prayer and have what they need met as God wills. So, so there's this dynamic of friendship with Jesus that I don't think we talk about enough. And, and certainly we've got to balance this, right? We, when I was in college, there was a, a t-shirt and hats and all these ridiculous things that they were making that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Did you guys ever see that? That made me so mad at the time. It still makes me mad, actually. Um, the, the, so we need to balance this, right? Because Jesus is my homeboy. I don't even know what a homeboy is for sure, but um, I'm guessing it's some kind of like cool guy you're hanging with. I don't know what a homeboy is. Finger guns, that's what comes to mind when with the homeboy. Anyways, I'm showing my ignorance here. Uh, but Jesus is Jesus is our friend, but but there is a there is not just a casual kicking back with Jesus kind of mentality. We, have, we worship Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We obey Jesus. You are my friends if you do what I tell you, right? So if, that's the category. We've got to listen to Jesus, do what he says. We, he's our God and our Savior. All those things are true. So we, we've got to balance this. But the, the point of his friendship is still vital. We... we we have a, certainly a unique relationship with Jesus in that we are friends and yet we submit to him. It's not a full equal relationship in that regard. We still serve him, even though we're not his servants. And as he says it here, Paul and all the apostles describe themselves as servants of Jesus. Right? So there is an element in which we still serve Jesus, even though we're friends with Jesus. We worship Jesus as our God, um, but yet, he would invite us into this is amazing. And, and what it means, I think, fundamentally is that Jesus truly does care for you. And there is nothing that he wants you to hold back from him. And there is nothing that you can't bring to him in prayer. And there is nothing that you can't go to him for. There is, there is absolute access to Jesus for us. Okay. So let's, let's apply this, though, because remember, we're being told that this is what we're called to do. Love one another as I have loved you. And if we are loved by Jesus as his friends, that means something. It means that friendship is a real thing that we should be pursuing with one another. We, we should actually be pursuing people in our lives to be friends with. You know, when we think about friendship, it's interesting because I think we all know what friendship is. It's hard to define it, but it's easy to see it when it exists, right? But friendship fundamentally is a relationship where you can be who you are (coughs) without filters, without holding back, without being reserved. Because in friendship, in, in a true friendship, there is trust and there is safety to be who you are with your friends. You, you know, you don't share everything about your life with every single person. And that's okay because we, we need to have a place of safety to operate out of. 
And so there are going to be people that you don't know well, that you're not going to necessarily have built trust with. And so you're going to have some guarded guards up and walls up. And uh, it doesn't mean you have to be unfriendly, right? But you, you're, you're not going to pour out your heart to every single person. I don't think that's what we're being asked to do. But with the friends we have, we should be open and honest and real and have our hearts out on our sleeve in some regard. Now, that's why it's so painful when we're betrayed by a friend. And I'm sure we've all been, been here where you had such a deep relationship with, with somebody and you put your heart out there, you put your life out there, you told them everything and then they stabbed you in the back with it. You know, you've been there, I've been there uh, and it hurts, it's painful. We expect to be betrayed by our enemies we're unsure about strangers, so we don't open up with all of our detail quite yet until we build some trust. But with friends, we, we recognize that we live with the potential to be wounded. C.S. Lewis said that to love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. And so that's where... We, we need to recognize that Jesus is calling us his friends because there is nothing he's, he hasn't put out for us about himself that we need to know. He's told us everything. He hasn't hidden anything from us. And that's why when Jesus was betrayed by his friends, it was all the more painful. Jesus is the perfect friend for us, so we should have no fear of him betraying us. So let's remember that. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that we take friendship seriously. We pursue others. We make ourselves available to others. And the book of Proverbs teaches us a bunch about friendship, probably more than any other book of the Bible. Proverbs gives us some one-liners of wisdom on how to operate in friendship. Let's just look at a few. There's more than these, but I've pulled out three. Um, so Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What's the principle? Well, a friend is there when they're needed and when things are good and when things are hard. They don't back away. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So there seems to be, in, in friendship, is, there's diff, it's a difference than, a, than companion. Companions are just like the, the people around you. And you can have lots of people around you that are shallow relationships, and you may come to ruin through that. But a friend goes deep and knows you truly and even stays close to you. There's a difference between a man who, or a woman who has many companions and someone who has friends. And then Proverbs 27, 6 says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So here's the point. Friends speak hard things for your good, and that's better than being flattered by someone who doesn't truly care about you. You probably, hopefully, have friends that, that meet these qualifications. They're there for you no matter what. They stay close, and they, the relationship is deep. It's not just meaningless surface level. It's 
meaningful. It's where friendships, they, where they speak hard things, hard truths to you, but they do it in a, a way of caring for you. That's what friendship is, and that's how we should be applying our, our lives to each other because we've been loved perfectly by Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus fulfills all these things perfectly. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He tells us the truth even when it's hard to hear. All these things are ways in which Jesus applies friendship to us and we ought to apply them to each other. So here's, here's where we need to land today. To love as we've been loved by Jesus means that we put aside our preferences for the good of others and it means that we pursue friendship with others to be instruments in Jesus' hands towards those people that he put in, puts into our lives. We should be used by Jesus in such a way in others' lives that we're drawing them closer to him, which we'll get into more next week as we talk about helping people love Jesus. But, but at the end of the day, we need to see that it is because Jesus loved us that we love each other. If we miss that, we miss the whole thing. And so we need to ask the Lord for his help. We need to ask the Lord for his help to love those he puts around us. We need to ask for him to help us be friends to the friendless. We need to ask the Lord to help us lay aside our, our pride and our desires so that others may flourish and thrive. If, if we really pursue this through the Lord's help, we'll see some sweet things happen. We'll see sweet things happen here. We'll see it happen in our lives. And I would just encourage you, pursue one another in these ways because that's how Christ is lifted high among us. That is how Jesus is glorified among us by the way we love each other. Jesus tells us that, that the way we love one another brings him glory. So let's get at that. Let's pursue it together as a church. We're here to love Jesus and we're here to love people and next week we'll talk about how, that, how we help people love Jesus. But let's pursue loving people together. Okay, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for loving us, for being a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you for laying down your life that we may live. Thank you, God, that you have displayed fully for us on the cross that we are loved by you. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would walk in love, that we would bear fruit, that we would actually see these things come to fruition in our church and in our lives. And we pray, God, that you would get the glory through all of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.